Hello, sir. Hello. It's been a, it's been a little while. It has. You should know I've been receiving angry messages. Have you? People. <laughs> the people are revolting. There was no yes. AOP. <laughs> yeah, they're mad. Yeah. Uh, Adam said, where is my art of product? <laughs> so um, you're not allowed to go away again, I guess. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll dive in today about the reason why an episode didn't drop. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, but I'm glad you're back. Yeah, good to be back. It's good to see your bearded face. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, you want to talk about some stuff? Yeah. I feel like you're going to have more than I do, so why don't I go first? Okay, sounds good. All right. So, not a ton to report this week, but I did have kind of a nice high point that happened yesterday that I thought I would share. So, there has been this bug for the last maybe five or six weeks I think it started happening after we upgraded our uh, WebRTC dependency, where sometimes there'd be certain situations where people would start a call and they would get like the first frame of video and then it would freeze. The video would freeze. And it wasn't like a complete connection issue because the mouse events were still coming through. Like they could still see the person's mouse moving around and the audio was still coming through. But the, the video would just wouldn't work. And there's also this other clue where they could adjust the quality settings and like the picture would kind of like actually change so like a lot of the times it would happen right at the start of the call but other times it would just happen during a call and we couldn't figure out what was going on and it was one of these bugs where it's like what do you do so like, it's kind of hard with this kind of app where it's like how do you reproduce these kind of things when it's, it's very not obvious what's causing it and so we would like look at people's logs and they looked okay and we could see that the frame rate went to zero but we didn't have know why we had a our, our first breakthrough on this wednesday night Joel just like hits us up in Slack and goes, I reproduced the video freezing bug. <laughs> I love those moments. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that, I feel like, is one of those things that you can kind of only appreciate as a developer. Where it's like, no, I can reliably make the bad thing happen. And like, I feel like you, until you start to like work on code, you wouldn't understand why that's good. But as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, we're going to fix this for sure. Like once you can reliably do it, like duplicate it, you're good. And so the thing that caused the freeze was if you start up a fast playing animation or video on the display that you were not sharing. So if you had a multi-display setup, like you have multiple monitors and you have a video going on the other one, that would cause the video to freeze. It was completely reliable in the sense that like the call will be working fine. You start a video, it would freeze. You stop the video, it unfreezes. And so it was like just straight up like this is causing it. And you would not expect that because it's happening on a display that's not being... Not even being know, shared. Being shared, yeah. so... Yeah. Huh. We're like, that is very, very weird. But we had a, a reproduction. And so um, yesterday, I went in and Spencer was gone. And so Joel and I were like talking about what to do that day. And I was like, let's just pair. So like we, we figured out a workaround. Where it's like, if you play an animation on the shared screen, even a small one, it like will fix the, the problem. But I was like, let's, that sounds just terrible. Let's not do that. That's like, come on, let's actually figure this thing out. So Joel and I sat down and I was like, I don't know C++. I don't know WebRTC. But like, let me just kind of sit here and try to be a facilitator. And so I like brought my notebook. And I brought my laptop and I sat down and just like kind of sat there and acted as a sounding board and like asked questions and just tried to like just poke at things. And Joel was driving the whole time. And we started at like 930 or something. We took a really short break for lunch because we were kind of getting in the zone. 
and just slowly trying to like divide up the problem space and like come up with hypotheses. And I, I started like a notion doc and I was like, okay, what, what are our hypotheses as to what the problem could be that fit the, the symptoms we're seeing? Like, what are our learnings so far? What are things we've tested that, that are not panning out? And just kind of kept track of things. And then there was this one point around mm, like two o'clock where I was like, can you just print out what that display ID is right here? That's just like, just saw the one line. I was like, display, like, you know, for each display ID, do something. And I was like, can you just see what the display IDs are? And Joel was like, uh, yeah, but I'm pretty confident it's just going to be the thing. And I was like, sure. But he's like, yeah, okay, fine. I'll do it. And he did. And it turns out when the rapidly playing animations on the other screen, it was basically kind of flooding this queue. There's this queue of like, hey, like, like let's process some updates. And the rapid updates from the other screen, we think, basically forced out any repaints from the slower screen being updated. Just like overwhelmed the queue. Yeah, it was kind of like a concurrency issue where it's like it was starving the shared display for updates when it wasn't updating fast enough. It was like if you had a background job queue and you have something requeuing jobs really, really fast, your like slower queuing jobs just get starved. They never even get done. And that is where we were ending up. And so we're like, oh my God, there it is. And the crazy thing is, we don't even need to process and look at the updates for that other screen because we're not even sharing it. And so we were doing extra work anyway. And so we stopped doing that and it fixed the problem and probably made the app a little bit faster too. Right. Yeah, because you're already, I mean, you've talked about how your CPU utilization is very low, like right. lower, lower than Chrome or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, lower than Slack client. <laughs> so... <laughs> You've already been doing a good job of like not doing seemingly extra work, but now like this is a double bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So it was like didn't just fix the bug, but probably made it faster, which is just awesome. So it was cool to me to discover or sort of like rediscover and have confirmed like you don't even need to know the language to be a useful pairing partner. Like I I don't know C plus plus. You should write up a case study of this. Like this should this should be an article on your website or on your pair programming guide or something about like. It's cool that you guys fixed the bug, but the even cooler part is what you unpacked in this process. You're an extension of his brain and like the programmer who's looking at the code has just a certain like myopic view of things because you're in the details and having another person there to prod at things and to form hypotheses and to like it's so valuable. And right. It was kind of interesting to me too, like that the thing I asked to look into was something he was pretty sure was not the issue. Mm-hmm. And I, and when he said that, I was almost like, I bet this is the bug, just because, <laughs> yeah. because that's where like we know the thing isn't working. So one of the assumptions is wrong. So like the one that you're not going to test after many hours is probably the one that is is not correct. So that was, but yeah, I agree. I made a little note to maybe like even just like link to this part of the podcast with this story. Uh, but it was it was really cool. It felt good. Like I was I was psyched I could kind of add value in that way. Like I, I had a suspicion I could, but it was like it was nice to just see. It was like yeah, that was actually really worth worth the time and, and worth mm-hmm. the effort. Mm-hmm. I would have similar experiences like working on tough technical challenges at Drip, where Rob and I kind of had this dynamic. I mean, he's a developer, but he doesn't know Ruby, and so I was working on stuff, figuring out things related to queuing or things related to like challenges dealing with API failures or just random things and we would often sit in front of a whiteboard work on stuff and he would basically play that role where he would ask questions and it helps to have some technical knowledge too so you can kind of get in the realm quicker but he was still not like he's not concerned about the ruby code because there's no ruby but he's just thinking more high level conceptual and that was valuable in a lot of problem solving exercises exactly totally i'm I'm pretty sure that the actual issue was kind of what my guess was 
when I thought about the symptoms, it's like the only thing that makes sense to me is, is like something like this, like starvation in the queue thing. That's, that's the only thing that sort of explains this in my head. Like just that sort of hypothesis, I think was also useful too. And I didn't, I didn't need much of the domain to be able to come up with that. So yeah, that was, that was a pretty cool experience. And then, yeah, we like, we shipped it yesterday and uh, it's just awesome to have that thing finally fixed. The thing is like a lot of our customers want to run, have like faces, like see people's faces while pairing. And so they would throw like a Zoom call on the other monitor, which is video. And so that would cause like a freeze for a lot of people. Was this related to the update that you did, the dependency update, or was that unrelated? After? Uh, I ha- we didn't, have not confirmed that. I, okay. I, th- I think this is something that maybe used to work and then WebRTC mm-hmm. changed something and then stopped mm-hmm. working. But mm-hmm. I, we're not sure. We haven't looked into that. So do you have a general fear right now around updating your dependencies? Or are you taking the position of like, update them pretty aggressively and and do QA to catch these kind of things? Or like, what's your yes. process like on that? Yeah, I would say that's that's pretty pretty close to it. We, we update it pretty frequently. And then we just have like a pretty big QA checklist of things that we, we check. Because uh, I mean, it should be getting better, right? You know, like, there's a lot of engineers at Google working on this. So like, hopefully, like, it just makes it better and more reliable. But yeah, you can't really know. There's there's probably some churn that's just, you know, new bugs and whatnot. Yep, yep. And for a lot of this stuff, you can't really easily write even like integration tests, right? Because... Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, I started like peeking at some of the tests in the WebRTC code base. And there's some, but it's it's a it's a pretty hard thing. Like, how do you? <laughs> so So I think over the long term, coming up with clever ways to build a nice test suite of, in some ways would be great. I think it's actually a really big and really hard problem. So it feels like a long-term investment that we're going to make as things get a little more stable. Uh, but for now, it's just kind of like, all right, just run down the checklist and click on all the things. Yeah, maybe it would look like literally spinning up remote OSX instances on other sides of the country, spinning up a session, and then having like visual CI happening where you're like looking at the screen and like basically automating what a human would be doing during the QA process. Like think about like audio issues where it's like, how do you make sure the audio is not distorted? Like, ooh, like record a waveform and compare it and with some sort of diffing algorithm. And how do you make sure that like when you switch audio devices on the operating system level, it reflects it correctly? And this is a very hard to test app. For all these things I can think of, you know, okay, well, if I had <laughs> infinite time and a ton of ability, we could we could come up with a harness that would look like this. And I think eventually, hopefully, maybe we will. But today is probably not the day. This is like real hardcore low-level programming where unlike being in the kind of the web development tier where you can pretty much rely on a solid methodology of testing to cover a lot of a lot of issues that may arise. Like this is where it helps to also be a very diligent methodical detail oriented programmer because a lot of this stuff you simply can't cover with automated testing and so you kind of you have to be on your game (laughs) one nice thing is we have call quality ratings that we collect so after a call ends we ask you how it was and now we actually just made that some more sophisticated so you can like click that you have like specific issues one thing we do is like well, we'll we'll watch for crashes that catches like the worst thing but then we also watch the call quality ratings and so it's like okay we can we can see that we're tracking along our normal average uh, so it's probably okay, which is not ideal because, you know, if it drops, it, like our customers have had bad experiences, but uh, there's not, <laughs> I mean, it's better than nothing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Better to have an indicator than no indicator, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
we have this cool dashboard, which is like um, average call quality rating by version. So we can just see like how are things for the latest thing we just pushed versus the historical trend, which is smart to awesome. be segmenting by that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say as of right now, this latest version has the highest call quality rating of the last 10. So, hey, maybe we have maybe the getting rid of that freeze has improved things probably couldn't have made it worse <laughs> but, but, you know. i mean anything's possible but it's so it's so possible man webrtc is big it's just a lot of it and there's a lot and like a lot of like tricky concepts going on that i wasn't even aware of like you gotta do some fanciness if you want it to be fast where it's like okay like let's let's find out like okay what's changed on the screen okay well there's a mac os api for this uh it's kind of complicated and you have to register some callbacks and there's a bunch of handlers and then it's just it's it's nasty yeah this is real programming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what's changed on this screen? It's like, no, here's the here's all of the screens, and then you gotta go figure out the rectangles that have changed, and it's just, it's there's, there's a lot of shenanigans. But one medium sized step forward this week, which feels pretty awesome. Again, like this is probably our worst failing right now in terms of like where the call just gets borked. Like, it was the, it was the most commonly reported. Like, this is just like broken, broken. I want to chase the like make it even faster and make it even more beautiful and all that but if you have people whose just like calls are not even like passable then it's like this is it makes sense to focus on this kind of thing right yeah hmm. so yeah Thanks, man yeah so programming i did some kind of <laughs> and the moat got a little bit deeper a people. little bit deeper but then i explained how to make the moat a little bit so <laughs> I just kept my mouth shut but no it's okay um so you've been off doing a thing yeah. So, you know, after our last recording, I was, listeners probably could tell I was in a quite a contemplative mood, thinking about a lot of things. What does the future of level look like? Let's see, we recorded on Thursday, and I decided to head out for a 10 day retreat up to the North Shore in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, the, the agenda was have no agenda, do some reading, do some hiking, bike around, sit by a fireplace and just think and try to disconnect a bit and you know not be on the internet like i brought my laptop and my phone in the event of emergencies but the goal was like to stay off them as much as possible yeah w were you alone uh, my wife came with me okay, but nice. um but then she kind of did her own retreat as well so we hung out a bit i played board games and went to breweries and enjoyed some beer and stuff but like it was a it was still felt like i got a decent amount of like solitary time too that's awesome I, I emailed you about something at one point and it got like an out of office and i was like this is great i was like so yes. psyched that you had like disconnected so thoroughly it's the uh the first time i've actually ever set an out of office thing on my email i think wow yeah crazy yeah it's kind of awesome so i was you know trying to do it hardcore and so if there was any agenda item i was really wanting to try to figure out what am i going to do about level the data was in pretty clear that it was looking not too promising that I was going to be able to convert in enough volume the market that I'm trying to serve for the product. And so the question was, what do I do? And I needed to think, like, what are what are my goals with this business? Do I want this to be a thing that that gets kind of big and I build out a team and I potentially raise some funding and just try to educate the market as much as possible and keep keep pushing through and powering through and and doing the hard work to win customers one by one and is this even like sustainable for the type of company i want to build do i have the resources to do this am i interested in getting the resources that it would take to do this so there are a lot of these types of questions floating around in my head 
So I started off actually by reading, rereading Paul Jarvis's Company of One. It's a great redefinition, like breathing new life into the concept of lifestyle businesses that so many people like kind of poo-poo. And so I feel like it's it's very like Rob Walling-esque in its definition of like a little bit contrarian and like this, you know, things don't have to be, you don't have to be building a company with a full-blown team to be a success. And if you don't want to manage people, then don't manage people and be a be a solo operator with contractors. And like it was refreshing to read through that again and kind of absorb the thinking behind it. And it helped me clarify a lot what my own goals are. And I think I feel pretty confident that I want to stay as small as possible. I value more the the freedom that comes from from running a small business that's not too big <laughs> and that allows me to work on interesting problems, serve a market that I'm really passionate about but be in the realm of something feasible for a bootstrapper to launch quickly. It just became very clear that like level was not fitting in that mold. There are too many things that don't align for this business. I felt like I had some pretty good clarity after that. And I just started writing. So I did bring my laptop also so that I could write and stay disconnected from the internet, but just use it as a, you know, as a typewriter. I started kind of writing the level story. How did it all begin? What did the process look like? You know, and try to look for like what errors did I make in arriving to, at this place where I, I started out so adamant that I wasn't going to I wasn't going to make major tactical errors. And so like how did I find myself in this place with with this business that doesn't seem to align with what my goals are and that I'm struggling to gain traction with? Like, how did this happen? So I kind of did a deep dive on what did it look like from the onset? What kind of data did I get in? How did I respond to it? What kind of validation did I do? What did my methodology look like? And I just wrote down the whole story and kind of what I was thinking in the whole process. And then, so that was like part one was just the backstory and then brought it up to today. And it's like, given everything I've learned, now how am I thinking about this decision? And so the second part was just kind of like the turning point. What does my thought process look like? And I felt like if I could write this piece, and come out at the end, like I felt like I would have even more clarity about what the obvious right thing to do is. I'd still, there's internal battle in my head of like, am I giving up too early? Am I not persisting? I mean, as an entrepreneur, you're not supposed to be easy to push over. You're supposed to like stick to your idea, push through, power through it, be resilient. The long, slow, sass ramp of death, you just got to push through it. And so I was like, am I questioning? Like, am I just weary from this? Like, am I, am I just tired of it being hard? So I tried to separate that, that line of thinking from like the logical, like, do I just feel in my gut, like, this is not, this is not the road I want to be on. So writing that piece helped a lot. And by the end of that, I felt like, once again, even more confident, like, yep, I think this is not, this is not the right path for me to be on. Um, and so all that combined, like, I feel pretty confident that this is, this is the end of the road for level the level product as it as it exists today. Um, How's that feel? It it feels liberating almost. It feels good to have this clarity. It's exciting that I can return back to square one and think more methodically about like what is the type of business that I want to run and solve for like okay then what what things fit in that mold and what things don't. You know, Paul talks about in Company of One, like when you're a company of one, you should be able to 
launch something within maybe like a month, like a very short period of time, launch something that is valuable to your market that you can start charging money for. And then you can expand from there. Level, for example, doesn't doesn't really fit. I can't see how it fits that mold at all. Like I can't in a month launch a new communication platform that someone pilots as an alternative to Slack. Like just it's not going to work. It's too big of an idea. <laughs> you know, it falls in the camp of like the the superhumans of the world where you probably really need to spend like a good two to three years building product and likely with some funding to sustain you through that time to build like this fully polished thing that then you have a shot at converting people. So, hmm. so you feel relief then? Yeah. You feel, I think do you so. feel like a little bit of excitement? Yeah, I do. I do. That's awesome. It's the, I mean, the toughest part is like, um, honestly, the toughest part is, is disappointing this? the, I mean, this is not even tough. <laughs> really? Nice. I, That's awesome. I mean, I feel, uh, so I write in this, in this article that I'm going to publish very soon. I've become very comfortable on this podcast being raw, <laughs> open. <laughs> like, yeah, good. There's no ego here. You know, that's great. Like, this is just stuff that happens. I guess I have enough self confidence to not feel like this is this is me admitting that I I am a failure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, hundred um, percent. That's a great attitude. Yeah, that's that sounds. I mean, that's a really hard position to hold in your head. I think, you, despite you know knowing it's true intellectually, I still think that's really hard. So props to you for that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so I think the hardest part is emailing. I just sent some emails to my users, and it's like, this is what's happening, and it's not what I wanted to happen. And my largest team that had basically fully moved over, that was the hardest email to send, to be honest. But it's got to happen. So <laughs> Yeah. Did you try one last time, Mary? Like, you, I'm shutting this down unless you pay me $100,000 a month. <laughs> no i didn't do that <laughs> okay you probably shouldn't yeah huh i like this move a lot honestly especially as you talked with such clarity about the kind of business you want to build i was thinking about that like product market founder fit like is the business shaped the way that you want to live your life and i think that's such a huge important consideration there are so many businesses you could go build but it has to be something you're going to enjoy working on. And like the day-to-day has to be pleasant to you or you'll never, like you just can't put, like it's just too demoralizing. If you if you build yourself a job and you don't like it, like damn, that is terrible. Yeah. That'd be rough. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, something I kind of talk about in my, my article as I'm reflecting on like what's next. So there's a little bit of reflection on, I think something that influenced my decision-making when I was choosing to pursue level, I became enamored with this idea. It's a big idea. But I somehow felt like I could maybe straddle the line of like, maybe I can keep this small. I'm a solo founder with a little bit of runway. Like, maybe I can just do this. But this thing also has the potential to be a really big idea. And so I kind of straddled both camps of like, I'd be cool keeping this small. But also this might this might be catching a wave of people who are dissatisfied with Slack. And maybe this movement will grow in tandem with my progress on the business. And oh, if I happen to be right in the right place at the right time for people who are, you know, thirsty for an alternative, then this thing could get big. That's a dangerous way to think about a business. Like you got to be realistic about what what you want. Do you want to go big? Or do you want to stay small? And I think it's hard it's hard to not that it never works out. I mean, sometimes people probably start out assuming they'll stay small and then boom, it just like takes off. But it's better to 
choose a right-sized idea for the for the type of company you really want to build. And I mean, something in me was probably a little bit like, well, I just came off of Drip. This was a you know a success by many metrics. Like, am I going to take a step back on the on the stair stepping? I tend to think, you know, Rob's Rob's kind of stair step approach article, which is, you know, widely circulated, very popular idea. I tend to think of that or I, I tended to think of that as like a almost like a, that's only for beginners who are like starting on the stair step thing. And that's not a state you want to stay in forever. You start with these small things and you move up to something bigger. But I'm like, what if there's nothing wrong with staying lower on the stair steps, staying with like simpler, more targeted tools that are not going to maybe be insanely valuable. And maybe you end up with several of them to make a, you know, a small suite of products or something like that. But what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that if it fits with your goals as a founder. And so I guess I always saw the stair steps as like a path towards the bigger thing. Like the goal is to go bigger. And it's like, I don't, I'm not convinced that that's necessarily right for me. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love it. I I think persisting despite this mismatch that you have identified would just, it doesn't make, doesn't make sense. Like if, if, if you're clear about your goals, I feel like you should just act like swiftly when you realize you're not progressing towards them. And I'm not shocked to hear that you feel like relief and feel like kind of positive about it. This was actually my guess was like, there's gonna be some painful moments through it, but also then this sudden sense of like, all right, I don't have to do that thing anymore. And like, I'm still in a good position. You've learned a lot of things. You have like a lot of skills that you didn't have before. And it's just, I, I, I think you're in such a good spot. Yeah. Probably my worst day, my lowest point was, it was like shortly after I launched to the second cohort, I think of people. So I, you know, invited a total of a thousand people in. And when it was like, it was appearing to be a repeat of the first cohort, which was like, a lot of poking around, a lot of trying it, not a lot of indication that anyone was going to actually go further than that. That was probably the lowest point because I was still, I was still like, my mind was still in the mode of like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to grow this thing and to get this thing off the ground. And so when I was still on that, on that path, on that road and not, and seeing things, all the indicators pointing in the opposite direction, that was my lowest point. And as soon as I turned my direction and like was willing to say like, yep, I think this is not going to work. Then most of my anxiety lifted and I my headache went away. Like everything just kind of physiologically improved. I was just like, and I so I felt pretty at peace. Even going into the retreat, I was pretty at peace. But I want I still wanted to go through a rigorous exercise of thinking about this and evaluating and making sure that like that it wasn't just burnout or something that was that was making me feel this way. And and so yeah. Hmm. It sounded like this you you kind of reached closure pretty early on in the retreat was there did you go further were there more things that you dove into thought about i i did um so i explicitly told myself that i wasn't going to try to like sit and do a bunch of brainstorming sessions and come up with a new idea like that's what i was going to try not to do that although i did allow myself like it happened a few times i was like you know various points i'm just sitting there and i'm like okay i'm gonna start scribbling in my notebook but i'm not going to put pressure on myself to like come back and have like this this like objective that I was going to try to like check off, you know, I have some ideas about a general direction, like a general market I want to serve. You know, we had brainstormed in, in our postlude a little bit on some, some different directions. So I feel like there's, there's a number of things swirling around in my head at this point, but I'm not, I'm obviously not ready to commit to any particular direction at this very moment, but I feel like things are starting to swirl around a little bit. And I also think 
that I want to take this time to be to slow down a little bit. Coming out of Drip, I didn't slow down at all. The manifesto launched the Monday after my last day at Drip is when I shipped the manifesto. I've discovered on this retreat that I'm I'm mostly incapable of taking downtime, which is not a good thing, and I want to fix that. Because I think that's where really valuable thinking happens. And a lot of it did happen on this retreat. Like, and how am I supposed to come up with a good idea and think clearly about a market I want to serve and come come to some of these like deeper answers when I'm too much in the weeds of the doing, you know, sometimes you have to step back, disconnect and be able to think. And I want to be able to do this more frequently and not have to leave town and get out of my normal environment to be able to do this. I think this is something that's really valuable to be able to do. So I want to be able to take many retreats in the evening after I close up shop for the day on work and hopefully be off of technology more and, you know, putting, putting myself in do not disturb mode off hours as a regular thing. Like, so I want to cultivate this kind of ability to to be offline so that because I think that's where a lot of synthesis happens. A lot of good ideas come out of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. So, hmm. well, you seem a bit calmer, honestly. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about about things. I mean, and the other thing is trying not to trying to mitigate anxiety that may come from from being like knowledgeable of my burn rate and my runway and knowing that like I'm back to square one but I I feel pretty convinced at this point like I've convinced my irrational brain also (laughs) that like this is valuable to take a step back and be methodical and not rush into anything right now because that will pay off in the long term Um, totally I could see you at this phase as you do start to explore new ideas treating each one a little bit more experimentally and possibly even pursuing them in parallel at first. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I kind of like not falling in love with anything right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely like learning number one, I think, from from the level experience is like I, I became pretty convinced that this problem needed a solution. And I was able to find people to confirm that. But I think the fact that I was so married to this, this, thing that was that I identified as a big problem only hurt me in my ability to see clearly and be able to search out evidence that refuted what I was thinking. I just became clouded by it. So I think I'm going to be much more skeptical about any idea that I have and will be taking diligent steps to get confirmation on them. (laughs) Nice. Awesome. Well, I'm optimistic for you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there are so many lessons that are really hard to learn until you actually experience them. Like I have a friend who comes to mind and he's working on a company and I see him doing this thing and I keep trying to tell him like, I don't think you should do this thing. I think you should do this thing instead. And he sort of just won't accept that. And I, I, I just think eventually he will come around as he experiences this himself. And I've just kind of just, I've just had to uh, accept that fact for myself and just be like, you know what? You just can't, you can't, it's hard to absorb things through advice. It's just not that good a medium. And so I feel like you're, you're walking away from this with like some super valuable lessons that will help mm-hmm. you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's my, my hope in being this transparent about it. Um, one, I just think there's value in it as demonstrated by this, this whole podcast and everyone who enjoys listening to our, to our raw unedited, uh, <laughs> you know, thoughts and feelings about things. 
so I hope that this this kind of deep dive retrospective piece that I'm going to publish will be will be a useful um, artifact for the community. I love that you you took the time to go write it down. For me, that gets things out of my head so effectively. When I can't stop thinking about a thing, if I literally just write down the thing I'm thinking, it just my brain's like, all right, cool, that's that's processed. Next, yep, exactly. That seems so, like so cleansing or something. Yeah. And I like, it's like, I know there's going to be a lot of people who are curious what happened. And I like having this like definitive, like, here it is. It's 3000 words. Read this to give to get the full picture and listen to this podcast episode, you know, <laughs> and this will pretty well explain it and save me from, you know, repeating it over and over again. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is good stuff. And I, I think this is honestly when we are at our best. Like, this, I think this is when this podcast is most useful. And someone said that to me. Like, they, someone DM me and said, last week's AOP was, like, the best in a long, long time. And I super agree. I, I think just, like, hitting that level of honesty and talking about the things when they're not going as well, I think it's just, it's just so useful and so real and so good. And, and I'm psyched we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, I'm, yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm excited. I think there will be, yeah, even even maybe as early as next week, I'll be able to kind of like dive into some of the directions I'm thinking about and stuff. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. So can I can I keep my level T-shirt? Yes. So I mean, I've thought about this. So because I have some you know level swag out there, and it's like, well, if level the app is not going to exist, but it's still the name of my company. So I think it'll be uh, it'll just be the umbrella company will be level at least. Oh, cool. And maybe something else will inherit the level name. Who knows? We'll see. Nice. Is that a is that an LLC that you spun up? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So cool. nice. did, the, did the Stripe Atlas thing. So it's yep. well, it's technically Level Technologies LLC. So excellent. All right. Yeah. So great. Well, so so that shirt can just mean that that shirt will just stand for the things that Derek makes. Yep. I think so. I think so. <laughs> excellent. I saw you did a refresh of your personal site too. I did. Yeah. So that okay, and that was another like. I flirted with like, eh, is this gonna is this breaking the rules of my no technology on the retreat? But I'm like, I go in 10 days, I gotta be creating. So my creative outlets were writing and then taking taking a couple days to redesign the blog. I pulled down, you know, the the Tailwind 1.0. Congrats, Adam. <laughs> Just decided to to refresh it and kind of prepare it for this next phase also. And I would like to I would like to write a bit more. I don't know. I've I've tried this in the past and haven't been able to stick with it but i feel like there's it's something that i would like to do is cultivate more of a habit of writing and during this kind of in-between phase would be probably be a good time to to take another stab at it so Mm. we should come up with a commitment mechanism for you yeah we probably should (laughs) because i mean i just know how hard this goal is yeah yeah it's like you have to donate money to some cause you hate if you don't publish something or just give it to me. I'll take. I'm gonna it. try to do like maybe this is a cop out, but I I think I want to try to do like publish a few things on some kind of cadence, and if I can do that, then make the commitment. But if I can't even do, if I can't even like get that out, that is the a gate, cop out. <laughs> but if I can't even get out of the gate, like I, but like, like, but you can probably get out of the gate by setting up stronger commitment. That's is true. What, is, yeah, is the idea. Yeah. Hmm. It's like, I'm going to fast for 24 hours, and if I make it, I'll go to 48. Yeah. But okay. only I, if I make I it. See. I, like, see. Yeah. I see. <laughs> well, I'll think about that. Well, yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm psyched for you. I'm psyched to see where this goes. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. And mm. um, I will share, continue sharing on here about what's, uh, what's next. So cool. When you do continue sharing on here, if folks wanted to access show notes, 
that contained the summary of what you're doing. Yes, folks would be able to find them at artofproductpodcast.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. See ya.